I'd like to welcome everybody that's watching online via our YouTube page and those of you that are listening on our podcast via iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you so much for tuning in and for watching. We just had an awesome packed out service prior to this and uh, fortunately for all of you, I've already gotten two services to work out all my kinks in my message. Yeah! And so you guys, <coughs> you get to get the best of me, really. And that is me just getting right at it, all right? So let's pray, and then we're just going to bring the word, and we're going to talk about how the resurrection applies to our lives personally every day of our life, all right? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for everybody that's watching and listening online. Thank you for everybody that's here this morning. We celebrate you, Resurrection Sunday, Easter 2019. And we thank you, God, that today is a day of incredible life change and transformation. And I thank you, Lord God, that people could watch or listen to us that couldn't be here this morning. I thank you for their lives. And I thank you, Lord God, that today your word rules and reigns and you live forever to make intercession, to fight for us, to fight on our behalf, and to give us a resurrected life, to live a new life, to live a transformed life, to be different than the way we were prior to knowing you. And that's my prayer for everybody, is that true transformation would happen and people would experience your love and your power and that our minds and our hearts would be transformed to live the way you intended us to live with no shame, no fear, and no inhibition. Thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for present, your presence in everybody's car that's listening. Those at home that are watching, let your spirit permeate every area of our lives. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, so normally I wait till the very end of my message to tell you what my point of my sermon is, but I'm just going to tell you right now. Here's my point. My point is this. God wants to resurrect your mind. He wants to resurrect your life. Jesus' resurrection was for a purpose. And even though he finished an incredible work on the cross, he still had to resurrect. And when he resurrected, he's still working in our lives to resurrect people and for us to live a resurrected life. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what that looks like. God wants to transform us so that we live different than the way we lived prior to knowing him. There's a lot of us here today or that are listening that are struggling with shame and fear and anxiety and worry and doubt and disbelief and nightmares and sleepless nights and struggles and strife and division and money pressure and physical pressure and all kinds of things that are battling against them. And for me, my greatest desire is to show you the victory that not only what happened thousands of years ago when Jesus rose from the dead, but the victory that we're called to live in every day. And I'm going to show you what that looks like in Scripture. I'm going to show you how to get there. And I'm going to explain to you what this new life in Christ really should look like, because it looks like something. And what it looks like is not predicated on your personality. It's not predicated on your Enneagram score. It's not predicated on your Myers-Briggs score. It's not predicated on your life language or your distest. It has nothing to do with personality. But it has everything to do with a life that comes into us from an experience and a life we live out every day. So I'm going to teach it to you. All right? How many of you know what the word vitality means? Now, we've all heard the word vitality. But let me give you the dictionary definition of vitality. To have vitality in your life or to live a life full of vitality means that we're exuberant, we have mental vigor, we're strong mentally, physically, and spiritually. It means that I have a capacity for a meaningful and purposeful existence. 
It means that I have the power now to live and to grow differently than the way that I lived and grew prior to Christ. The word vitality is rooted in another word called revitalization, revitality. And to be revitalized means that something happens to you that brings you back to original intent, who you were created to be, discovering what you were always intended to become. And so for me, when I spun out into the world and created an identity based on all the concerts and the parties and uh, chasing after a... a, um, uh, uh, a, um, I'm going to tell you, a college degree. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. When I chase after career and a degree and the things of this world, yes. It's, I've done this a few times, so follow with me. When I chase after my own selfish desires and gains and it spun me out, what happened was Jesus came into my life and transformed me and made me into a new creation. So the person that you see now is not the person that I once was. Now, I'm still full of life. I was full of life then and energy and passion, but it was for the wrong reasons. The design behind that was to get people to love me and accept me and to measure up and to be cool and to be hip and, you know, to fit in. Now what I realize is based on who Jesus is in my life and who he's made me to be as a son, I don't have to fit in because I'm part of a kingdom. And I don't have to measure up and I don't have to please people. I just get to be me. Wouldn't it be nice to just really be you? Now, the person I was before, you wouldn't have really liked, but the person I am now, I hope that you like because I care about you, and I want to see lives transformed around me. I want to see people authentically become like Christ as they look at my life, not in a comparison mode, but for me being an example, an example of how God could take you from spinning out in your mind and struggles and challenges and all the things that come with mental health issues or living for yourself and living in the world and how God can transform you and you become who you were always created to become. It's called revitalization. It means that God brings vitality to my life and he renews me. Another word that is synonymous with revitalization is the word renewal. To be renewed means that I'm made new again. It means that when I blew it and bombed it and messed a lot of people's lives up, and left a wake of destruction behind me, God forgives me, heals me, transforms me, and now causes me to live different the way I was always supposed to live. All right, it's called renewal. He makes all things new. The word revitalization and the word renewal are both synonymous with one incredible word we're celebrating today, resurrection. So to be resurrected means that God brings vitality, renewal, and he brings health and the power to live and grow the way you were always intended to grow. Now, my wife and I were talking early on in this series, and I said, you know, I never really battled depression, anxiety, and mental health issues. And she said, if you were meditating on crystals and channeling spirits, you had mental issues. <laughs> I said, no, I don't know. I never, she said, listen, if you were doing LSD mushrooms and smoking pot, Something was wrong in your head. <laughs> and the truth is, something was. And I love to tell my story. I tell it all the time because it constantly reminds me where I came from, reminds you, and drives a nail in the devil's coffin and seals the deal of the victory that I've had, right? So it goes something like this. Now, I know you guys are like, man, how many times I got to hear a story? <laughs> you know what? Somebody's new here today or hadn't heard the story. And if we're doing things right, somebody new's coming. 
And you need to understand that we're reaching the hurting and the broken. And not everybody spun out the way I did, but my story's my story. It is what it is. All right? And the point that I'm trying to make is, is that, yes, I was very mental and spun out big time into the things of this world. And I never deserved any of the things that I have today. I lived on the streets. I went to prison. I had a broken marriage that ended in a divorce. I really, really was a poster child for failure. And I have no shame in telling you that. But at the same time, my life today is an absolute, complete success. And it's not success based on how much money I have in the bank or how much stuff I have. Because you can have a lot of money and stuff and be miserable. Right? So a guy like me could come from where I've come from and today have the coffee shops, have this incredible church with friends and family like you that believe in me and trust me. But more than that, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me since I gave my life to Jesus was the fact that I met this woman right here and God brought me a wife that was supernaturally awesome and really brought strength and stability into my life. It was my wife that really caused me to go to where I was supposed to go. Now, I don't feel like that every day, and she doesn't always think that, but the truth is, is that in all honesty, when I married her, I got a promotion. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, that favor and that good thing only comes with a lot of death, a lot of death. And trust me, since my life and coming to Jesus and getting married hasn't always been roses. In fact, the hardest part of my life is really what do we do with the four and six-year-old? Many times, Amber and I are going, what are we going to do about this? I'm like, Amber, what are we going to do about this? She's like, I don't know. What are you going to do about that? I'm like, I don't really have any idea. I mean, four and six-year-olds baffle my mind, you know, and it's like, what are, I don't even know how to handle this situation. You see, everything that God gives you, your job, your house, your car, a watch, a boat, a motorcycle, I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is that you possess. Anything that you have or get is designed to bring glory to him. He only gives it to you to advance his kingdom and bring glory to him. So when I chased after the things of this world or degrees to make money, what the Lord said is, no, that's not what I want for you. I want you to honor me, to serve me, and take everything I give you and give it back to me. I want it to represent me. That's what he wants. And he wants a life that is an accurate reflection of who he is. So a lot of times Jesus will show up to people in a dream or in a vision. In fact, the Lord is showing up to people in, you know, Closed countries like China, North Korea, uh, most of the uh, Islamic nations, preaching the gospel will get you killed. There are no missionaries there. And so the Lord himself is appearing in a dream or a vision. But you know how the Lord mo most often reaches somebody? Through you and me. And what he really wants is people that have no other hook but love. And love is the hook that catches people into the kingdom as we become accurate reflections. But I'm not called to clean you either. I'm called to love you and let love do the rest. And then Jesus starts working on your heart to transform you. So a transformed life looks like something. It looks like something. The word for life in the Greek is the word zoe. How many of you have heard the, the Greek word zoe? We have relatives named Zoe. Maybe we've named our children Zoe. Zoe is a very popular word, 
but not everybody understands what that word really means. Zoe means two things. It has two ideas behind it. The first idea for real life is something happens to me, I have an experience, and life comes into me. So I die to the old, and in comes the new life. But then, Zoe life is a state of mind. It's a lifestyle that I live every day. Let me show you the scripture that Jesus used best about life, and that is John 10.10. In John 10.10, Jesus uses this contrast. He compares himself with the devil, and he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have Zoe life and have it how? Abundantly. So today I'm going to teach you about real Zoe life, and I'm going to teach you about abundance and what an abundant life really should look like. First, let me say this. You can't show other people how to have an abundant life unless what? And it's not cocky, arrogant, or haughty for me to say that I'm living an abundant life. If you knew where I came from, if you understand who I once was and who I am now, it's an abundant life. Does it get messy? Yes. Do we have difficulties and struggles and trials and challenges and hardships? You better believe we do. Jesus said that the wind and the rain and the flood beats on the house of the righteous and the unrighteous. But only one house remains standing, and it's the house that's built on the rock. And I made a decision 27 years ago to build my house on the rock. And you know how I made that decision? I was buried alive in a house with a mattress over my head, with water up to my chin in the Everglades in South Florida, right in the middle of a Category 5 hurricane called Hurricane Andrew. And that hurricane not only beat my house down in the natural to where I thought I was going to die, but it brought me to my end mentally, physically, and spiritually. I literally thought I was going to die, and I was dead on the inside. Prior to that, I had got busted for drugs, going to a Grateful Dead concert in Ohio, and I was facing prison time. My life was at rock bottom, and I was at my very end. But it was through those experiences and me coming to my end that I found his beginning. It was when I finally realized I can't do this life on my own and I don't want to that I prayed the most powerful prayer you could ever pray that we're going to pray today at the end of this message, and it was very simple. Jesus, if you're real, I need you. <clears throat> if you're there, help me. Because when you're authentic and sincere, you don't have to pray the best prayer. All you have to do is cry out. <clears throat> and for me, I authentically cried out. Now let's look at the scripture. There is a thief that comes to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you. But Jesus came that you would have Zoe life. Let me give you a great definition of the word Zoe. Zoe literally means to be animated. It means to be vigorous. It means to be full of life. And it means to walk in supernatural power all the days of your life. It means that I have a state of mind that has vitality. And it also means that I'm animate. You know what it means to be animate? It means to be brought to life. Think of a cartoon, an animated cartoon. So to be animate means that I'm alive, I'm lively, and I'm full of life. To have vitality means that I'm strong, it means I'm active, and I'm energetic. That's not predicated on your personality type. 
This is the life that Jesus puts inside of you. It's passionate. And for some people, they don't like that. But so what? When God resurrects you from the dead, as Christians, we shouldn't be walking around broke, busted, disgusted, sad, angry, frustrated all the time because you're not going to win me to Jesus with that kind of attitude. The attitude that we have is now, I'm not the man that I once was, and I don't think the way that I used to think. I'm going to show it to you some more this morning. Zoe life looks like something. It means that I'm able to give life to other people through inspiration, encouragement, and renewed vigor. How many of you know what the word vigor means? Vigor. To be vigor, or, or to have vigor, or to be vigorous means... I'm enthusiastic, I'm energetic, and I'm healthy. I'm hopeful, expectant, and I'm confident. Pessimism is not a fruit of the Spirit. And some of you have a pessimistic mindset. And I'll tell you what will make you pessimistic the fastest. Constantly living on the news and seeing what's happening around the world and the world system. It'll make you apathetic and pessimistic. The life that we're called to live is optimistic. The life we're called to live is full of faith. The life we're called to live is high energy and passionate and excited. Now, your passion as an introvert may not look like my passion as a super high extrovert. And that's okay. But we can all still be passionate, exuberant, enthusiastic, hopeful, confident, and full of life. Look at the contrast. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's say this together, please. There is a thief. Let's say it again. There is a thief. And I've got to get you guys to realize that every day somebody is trying to steal from you. The devil's greatest ploy is to get you to believe he doesn't exist. I say it all the time. It's to get you to live a nice, normal, suburbia lifestyle. To not ruffle any feathers, don't be aggressive, don't be too spiritual, just be a nice Christian. And many times I feel like, man, I'm being too aggressive, I'm being too spiritual, and it's not palatable for people. And, and I am think, man, you know, a lot of people just feel like it, it's too much, or they walk away, or they walk out, or whatever it is. And then I read the Bible, and I think, man, Jesus was way more passionate than I was. The Apostle Paul makes me look like child's play half the time. He's busting up demons everywhere he goes, healing the sick, resurrecting people. I mean, he's walking in power and boldness and kicking some serious hiney and not mincing his words. There is a thief. And what does that thief want to do? He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to rob from you. He wants to make you feel full of shame. He wants to silence you. He wants to isolate you. You know what I see a lot? And I want to challenge you not to do this. I see people that are here consistently, and then one day they're gone. And I don't see them for maybe a month, two months, sometimes six months or longer. And then I see them. I'm like, hey, everything all right? I haven't seen you for a while. Like, yeah, you know, I've just really been going through a hard time, just really been battling a lot of shame and social anxiety, and it's just been hard for me to be around people. I've been going through a difficult situation, so I've just been isolating myself. You know, my marriage this, my finances that, I've been sick, or they just give me all these things. And I think to myself, isolating yourself is the absolute last thing that you should do. That's the lie of the enemy and religion. Because this should be a house of healing. This is a safe house. 
This is a safe house. The Bible says the name of the Lord is the strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. And this is the place where the name of Jesus is lifted high. Despite our imperfections, despite the messiness of it all, we should be able to come here and worship and cry out no matter what you're going through. Because the minute you get isolated is when the devil plays you like a puppet and kicks your hiney. Please, come out of hiding. Hiding was the very first ploy of the enemy in the garden. They were full of shame because they ate from the wrong tree. And it was the tree of intellectualism. It was the tree of logic and reason. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why God doesn't just want you to be good. He wants you to be spiritual. And so don't hide because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to hide. There is a thief. And so the life that the Lord gives you is a Zoe life. It's animated, passionate, and he gives you vitality. It's power to grow and become something that you never were before. And this life he wants to give you is abundant. Let me tell you about abundance for a moment. The word abundantly means superior, exceedingly, surpassing, uncommon. Uncommon, I love that. Remarkable, more excellent, excessive. Pastor, why do you have to be so excessive? Listen, when you walk out those doors, I can assure you the world is, is extremely excessive against you. Just drive down SPID at any given time. Just look at all the billboards of materialism and buying things and alcohol and all the stuff. It's everywhere around us. And some of the things we see on the billboards in and of themselves aren't bad. But without Jesus in our lives, they will own us and control us. God's okay with us having stuff as long as our stuff doesn't have us. Amen? And so abundance means to exceed in number and rank. So think about this. Jesus is preeminent. You know what the word preeminent means? I teach you a lot of words today. Preeminence. You know what that means? Far superior above all else. He, he is the ultimate eminent one before everything else. The greatest thing about preeminence is that he is far superior over the devil, principalities, darkness, and everything that's against you. So what wants to steal from you and kill from you, he's preeminent over. And he's preeminent because he lives. He resurrected from the dead. He, he put an open shame to the enemy on the cross, made the sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, shed his blood, and then resurrected so that he lives for you now. But now he wants to bring that resurrection life into you. Hence, the understanding. When the thief was stealing and killing and destroying from you, now Jesus is available to give you a new life. And that new life is designed to be abundant. It's successive in the context of not being a super diva or a macho man. It's excessive in the mindset of, I have all the gifts and the power of Christ inside of me. My old life is dead. I don't, the power of sin doesn't hold me anymore. Now I'm an, I have the power to live. I have vitality to grow and become. Does that make sense? Okay. Come on, guy. I'm going to get you guys so fired up. Let me just tell you. You haven't even heard anything yet. I'm about to lay it on you. Come on, guys. Slap yourself left and right. Prior to Jesus in your life, the devil had power, has power to control you. I say it this way. 
everybody prior to Jesus was being human trafficked. And you don't even realize it. Because if Jesus isn't actively in our life, we become self-reliant on our own selves to accomplish tasks and to accomplish abilities. We live in an intellectual life. And the intellect in and of itself is not bad. But when your life is ruled by your mind, it's going to become your master and it be you become your own Lord. It's humanism at its finest. You know what humanism is? Here's what humanism is. A humanistic mindset is, is that everybody is, innate, is innately good and that you have the full power within yourself, with your mind, your logic, and your reason to accomplish any task and to create anything that you put your mind to or that's in front of you without divine intervention. So I don't need divine intervention. I got it all within me, and I'm innately good. And if I could just pull the good out of Megan, this is without Jesus, if I could just pull the good out of her and get her to believe in herself and doesn't need God, she can do anything she puts her mind to. Humanism at its finest. But the Bible teaches us otherwise. The Bible teaches us that man without God is innately bad. And I know some people don't like that. Did he create us in his likeness and image? Yes, he did. But let's talk about how we got to this spot. First of all, when Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree that they weren't supposed to, it instilled in them a humanistic mindset. The devil said this to Adam and Eve. God, did God surely say, don't eat from that tree? Because he knows if you eat from that tree, guess what will happen to you? You'll be like him. And so man's quest to be like God has always happened since the garden. But the only way to become like him is to die and for Jesus to come into my life and into my heart. If I don't, get, if I don't die and get resurrected, every other, every other process and even religion will be in vain. And so there was an infectious curse from the garden that infected everybody until they get born again. Everybody, my children, everybody has a carnal nature until they get born again. You'll be self-reliant, self-dependent, and it will, you will lose. I love you all enough to tell you. Now, you all, most of you know that or you wouldn't be at Rock City Church. I know that. Seriously, because I preach this like a broken record. But you've got to understand that God wants to resurrect our mind. And some of you may be stuck with thorns and thistles and plagues in your life nightmares, sleepless nights, depression, addiction, pornography, fear, worry, anxiety, doubt, and all the things that go with it, not knowing how to process, feeling like God's far from us. But that's not what he wants. He wants to come near you and reveal himself to you, and he wants to resurrect you. But you'll never get resurrected until you fully die to your old self, period. And I say it as nice as I can. So how did we get here? How did the devil get that kind of power and authority? Well, Adam and Eve gave it to him. And listen to what Satan himself said. I'm going to give you a quote directly from Satan. He talks in the Bible, and he's written down. Let me show it to you. Luke 4, 6. Here's what's happening in Luke. Jesus goes to fast for 40 days in the, in the wilderness, in the desert. Satan comes to tempt him, tempt him and tempts him with three temptations. One of them was, was that Satan took Jesus up onto a very, very high pinnacle and he said, look at all the nations of the world. In a moment, he showed Jesus all the nations of the world. And he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, 
I'll give it to you. And he said, it's for this reason. All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. That's not Jesus talking. The devil is called the God of this world, the little g. Little g. And what he wants us to do is pursue our own lordship and trust in ourselves. That's why idol, idolatry is so against who God is. I can assure you, little bitty baby Buddha statues in your house don't talk. They're idols. They're dumb, meaning they don't speak. That's what an idol means. It means it's a dumb thing. It doesn't speak. But I'm going to tell you something. If anybody thinks a false god, Thor, or whoever it is, and I've met New Agers and psychics that have gods that appeared to them, any other god that seems to talk is a demon. That's just the reality of it. Only one God speaks. Only one God can transform you. Only one God can heal you and resurrect your mind. And it's an awesome life. It is the best life you could ever live. It's a life full of power, joy, and excitement, and vibrance, and freedom to bust up demons and heal the sick and preach the gospel and to give it away to your kids and to give it away to the masses and to fight against the injustices that are happening in the world all around us. Amen? So the enemy was given power, and he was given authority. And that authority and power that the enemy has in people's lives are given to him through several ways. Number one, the power of sin. When sin rules and reigns in our life, it opens the door wide open for the enemy to wreak havoc in our life. The next thing is the worldly pursuits outside of God's direction. We have to be spirit-led in every single thing that we go after in this world. I'm not going to push on my kids to get an education outside of finishing high school. If they want to go to college, I'm going to empower them to go. To, if they want to go and study and learn to be anything, I'm going to empower them to do that. But I'm not going to try to coerce them to go get a degree so that they can make a lot of money and then chase after this world system and be successful. If they want to become doctors, lawyers, firemen, policemen, I don't care what it is, missionaries, I'm going to empower them, but I'm going to teach them more than anything to be spirit-led in their decisions. And so the enemy will wreak havoc in our lives by getting us to chase after pursuits that are of our own leading and not the leading of the Lord. It's intellectual guidance. It's humanism. Here's another good definition of humanism. Humanism is an outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanism stresses the innate value and goodness of people and solely seeks rational ways of solving problems. But Jesus said that any life we choose to live without his complete lordship and headship is a life lost. The Bible teaches clearly that without Christ, all of humanity is innately corrupted by a carnal nature and that we need redemption from who first? Ourselves. He saves us from ourselves. And that's why Jesus said he came. Remember in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes to do one thing, but Jesus said, I came to do something else. And that's why the Father gave his only begotten Son. The Father gave, Jesus came, and he sent the Holy Spirit after his resurrection, which will actually be 48 days from now. 
Pentecost, it means 50. And we're going to celebrate Pentecost, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I'm going to teach you at Pentecost is how God came to give you a new way of thinking and a new language in how to pray to transform your mind through the power of his spirit. And so Jesus wants us to live a resurrected life, and he fights with us, and he fights for us, not against us. Pre-Christ, our lives were dead. Without him, our intellectual minds are actually plagued with self-reliance, coupled with a constant pursuit of the comforts and pleasures of this world. It's okay to have comforts and pleasures in this world. I have a motorcycle. I use it for ministry. I have a boat. I use it to get away with friends and have personal time. None of these things cost a lot of money, by the way, and they're almost all paid off, just so that you know. <laughs> my point is, is I have things in my life that I love and that I enjoy, but they don't possess me. It's not a, it's not a problem to have things, and it's not that God doesn't want you to possess lands and have stuff. The most important thing is that everything you have is giving glory to him. Do you understand? So I'll pray for you to get a new job. But when you get it, I'll pray for your finances to increase. But when you get it, I'll pray for God to bring breakthrough into your life and to, to just bring healing and comforts and strength to you. But when you get it, because what most people do is they live a crisis Christianity lifestyle. I'm in crisis, so I'm running to Jesus. But as soon as things get a little easier, as soon as the pressure's not on, as soon as life is good, the fervency and the passion and the pursuit wanes. And I want to challenge you, stay more on fire ever in the good times. Be so thankful and grateful. Live so purposefully and intently every single day of your life. When we fully surrender our lives to Jesus in lordship, he resurrects every part of us, especially our minds and the way we think. That's why I teach you this. And we're going to say it together. I know you've said it a thousand times. I'll teach it to you again. You ready? Intellect. Let's say it together. Intellect, Intellect. is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful servant. Say, well, you know, Solomon said thousands of years ago, nothing's new under the sun but they didn't have internet and all the technologies that we have now. That's all new from the time of Solomon. No, it's not. All they did was discover what God had already created and made. So what happens is, is God gives you a mental capacity for creativity. And for if any of us can think we can outdo him, just look at one bug, one flower, one star, one ocean. Look at anything that God's created, and you will see that in our best day, we could never create what he's created. Right? He's the ultimate creator. And so that creator and that creative side of him lives in us now. And so now my mind submitted to his headship and lordship with the mind of Christ enables me to accomplish anything that he leads me to accomplish. You say, well, pastor, you know, why can't you invent things? And why didn't you do this? I, said, I can, if that's what the Lord wants me to do. And so can you. You can create, you can build, you can discover He's the ultimate creator, and he wants your mind to be fully submitted to him. I want you to think about this term for a moment. This is another word that I like to use a lot. This is the Greek word for salvation or saved, and it's the word sozo. How many of you have heard the word sozo? So sozo is an awesome word that, sadly, Hollywood makes fun of all the time. You see these cheesy, 
you know, either certain Christian movies or things that come out and they make fun of people, oh, you got saved. Most people don't even really understand what saved means, okay? Saved means, or salvation, or the word, the Greek word sozo means to rescue, deliver from danger and destruction, to protect, to keep safe and sound, to restore to healthy, to a healthy mentality, to restore you physically, and most importantly, spiritually. It means to make us complete and whole and bring us to a place of a sound mind. That's why the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a... That's right. So when you get saved, what happens is, is he shifts you. He shifts you from the way that you lived. He shifts you out of fear or self-preservation or your own pursuits, and he brings you into a new life that's covered that's protected, that's vibrant, that's passionate, that's exuberant. Say, well, pastor, people die. Christians die. They get sick. I've seen Christians get sick and die with cancer, car accidents, crazy situations. Say, well, pastor, what about them? Why wasn't God there? I said, listen, first of all, Jesus didn't come solely to heal our body. He came most importantly to heal us spiritually and to bring us into eternity. If you don't have a concept of eternity and this life is the only thing you're living for, you're never going to understand the fullness of why he came. There is an eternal life. And we are living for it and towards it all the days of our life. Eternity starts now. It's eternity now. All right? The second thing is the Bible declares that he would give us health and wholeness and protect us, protects us. So I don't know why those things happen, but I'm not going to live in that world. I've battled chronic asthma, chronic asthma, since I was nine years old. And it's a generational thing. My, my blood father had it. Pneumonias in and out of the hospital, medications, all these different things. But I choose to believe God's word, and I choose to not listen to what my symptom says. My symptom says everything contrary to what the Lord said. You say, well, pastor, why haven't you seen it? I said, I don't know why I haven't seen it yet. But you know what I know? He died on the cross. He shed his blood. I'm standing on the word. And I'm not going to live in the world of doubt and uncertainty of why did this happen and why did that happen. God's way, way bigger than I am. I'm going to choose to live in the promises of who he is now and what he says for me. I can't live in a world of faith. I'm going to fully believe my kids are going to live a long, prosperous life. I'm going to fully believe that my wife is going to be healthy and strong all the days of her life. I'm going to fully believe that I'm going to live a long, prosperous life. And you know what? If I go early, for any reason, I'm going to boldly declare the name of Jesus all the way to the grave. Period. I pray that never happens. But why live in a world of doubt and fear and listen to the lies of the enemy that wants to rob your joy and wants to rob your faith? You don't want that. So a sozo life is a delivered life, a protected life, a healthy life. It's a life where we become healthy and strong in our mind. But none of this could happen without Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It wouldn't happen if Jesus didn't die and wasn't buried and resurrected on the third day, which is what we celebrate today. And it's also not going to happen until you die, until you make the decision to lay your own life down. Jesus is standing in a crowd, and he shouts out loudly. He says, if anybody wants to be my disciple, Luke 9, 23, if anybody wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself. 
Let him take up his cross. How often? Every day. That means every day a little bit more of me is dying. It means every day a little bit more of who I was is dying, but there's a new resurrected coming. So denying ourselves, following after him, and taking up our cross are the requirements for a disciple. Now, I preached this message early this morning out on the beach to a lot of different people, and I got a lot of funny looks, but I don't really care. Jesus made it explicitly clear. If you want to live, you got to die. If you want to live in the abundance that God has for you and experience new life, you got to take up your own cross. And I'm going to show you a little bit about what that means. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that when we're born again, we become children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. This is an awesome passage of Scripture. <clears throat> this Scripture is powerful for many reasons. First of all, how many of you would like to get a million-dollar inheritance from some long-lost relative? Any of you? Somebody you never knew somewhere in your, right? Now imagine if you had, you know, 25 long-lost brothers and sisters. Everybody's getting a piece of the pie. And even, you know, all of us would be like, still, I'll take whatever I can get. But you need to see it in this context. To be an heir means that there's an inheritance. And that inheritance was fully given to Jesus. But when we give our lives to him and get born again, we now become co or joint heirs together with him. And what that means is everything that's been given to Jesus is also given to us. I have access to everything that he's been given. Amen? But there's a condition. Now, some of us don't like conditions. But I'd be amiss. I mean, it's not, you know, just all that easy. You know what's easy? By the grace of God, you can get born again. And there's nothing that you have to do about it but say yes. Not everybody's saved and they just don't know it. We don't live a universal theology. You still have to say yes. But it's by the grace of God through faith. By grace through faith. So he gives us the power to be born again. But I, through faith, say, Lord, I believe. I say yes to you. And then he comes and transforms your life. And he makes you a joint heir with a condition. There's a little two-letter word inside this scripture. It's called if. And the if is this. If we suffer with him, we'll be glorified with him. And suffering is a lot of different things, and it's things that people don't fully understand, but I'm going to give you the most simple understanding. Here's how we suffer with Jesus. I guarantee you, if you flame on spiritually and get fired up, and really fired up, and really go hard after the things of God, and don't look back, somebody's going to speak negative about you or persecute you. I guarantee it. If they persecuted Jesus, in fact, Jesus went so extreme, and he said this, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Who's going to hate you? A lot of different people. And those are people that are being played like puppets from the enemy, because our enemy's not a person. Our enemy is spiritual wickedness in high places that plays people like puppets. But you're going to have enemies. Jesus had enemies. Religious spirits. Half-hearted Christians that don't like your passion. As soon as you say, hey, you go to a tongue-talking, spirit-filled, demon-busting, wild, extravagant church that, that 
believes in healing and people fall out in the spirit on occasion and prophecy and healing and signs and wonders, somebody's going to call you crazy. Mark my words. But you compare whatever you think is passionate and fired up in this church to what Jesus did, and it pales in comparison. He was super on fire, and he was demon-busting, going after the things of God. It's going to happen. So what? In fact, that persecution will fuel the fire in our life because look at the scripture. When you're persecuted, guess what you get? You become more like him. But if we choose to stay silent and are fearful or passive or half-hearted, we'll never experience the fullness of what he has for us now. Can you make it to heaven? But we're not living our life just to make it to heaven. If God just wanted you to get to heaven, guess what he'd do? You'd get born again, and then he'd just whack your head off. Just kill me now. There's Christians that live like that. Lord, hurry up and come back. I'm just waiting for, I'm waiting for your return, God. I'm waiting for the rapture. Really? There's millions of people that have never heard an accurate gospel. There's people living in our own city that are dying and children that are lost and broken and hurting. And God wants us to show them the greatness of who he is now. So there's this concept of suffering with Christ so that we could be glorified together with him. Galatians 2.20, I love this scripture. This is an awesome scripture. The Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, the life that I'm currently living right now in this world, in this tent of flesh, I'm living by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this is extreme. If I say to you, your greatest purpose right now in life, above all, is to live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for you. Nothing is greater than knowing Jesus personally, seeing him face to face, hearing him, experiencing the man, the person of Jesus in your life. That's preeminent, more than my marriage, more than my kids, more than my job, more than this church, more than anything. The life I now live, I live for this reason. And so that's why he says, I've been crucified. I'm crucified with Christ, number one, because he carried all my sin and shame on the cross. He carried everything that you deserved, all your failures, all your mistakes, all your blow-ups, all the wake of destruction that maybe you once left in your past. He forgave you, and then he took it on the cross and shed his blood and then resurrected to give you a new resurrected life. So now I'm crucified. You're crucified with Christ when you lay your life down for him. And now you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Jesus. Romans 6, 5. When we get born again, we get united to Jesus, right? You know, when you get born again, you get born again in your spirit. It's spirit to spirit. But it's your soul realm, your mind, your will, and emotions that God begins the process of renewal to change how you think, how you act, and how you live even emotionally. He works on your soul realm. You ever met an angry Christian? You ever met a drug-addicted Christian? You ever given your life to Jesus and then a week or two later or a month later you just bombed it? Every one of us. Because the Holy Spirit does this process in your soul realm called regeneration. It's a process of 
renewal, revitalization, and giving you power to become more like him. And that takes time. And so he says, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, guess what you get? You get the likeness of his resurrection. So here's how this goes. First the crucified Jesus, then the resurrected Jesus. First the crucified you, and then the resurrected you. Until you go to the cross and lay your life down, just as Jesus did, you're not going to experience that life. Look what he says. I've been united together with the likeness of his death. Certainly I'll be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Pre-Jesus, we're all a slave to sin. I don't care how good you try to be. Post-Jesus, we get freed from that. Let's look at the next verse. Romans 6, 7. He who has died has been freed from sin. I remember I went to a Heart of David conference, and I was sitting on a panel. I've shared this with you before, but I'll share it again. The question was, if you could go back 10 years and tell yourself something, what would you say? And I knew right away what I'd say. It was three words. Just die now. Because since I gave my life to the Lord, I've died a thousand deaths. But in every death, has come a resurrection. When I finally realized it wasn't about me, my stuff isn't about me. Even my kids are designed to be given away. Even my marriage was a whole nother level of death. And my wife feels the same way. Trust me, she feels the same way. But what you've got to see is that in death, in the kingdom comes life. I'm not saying it bad like, oh, man, you, you don't get married. You're going to live a miserable, dying life. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying to you is that what it should be is less of me and more of him. What it should be is now I'm laying my life down for her. Now I'm laying my life down for my kids. Now I'm laying my life down for you. Now anything he gives me, he gives me for the purposes of the kingdom. So when you die, what happens? You get free from sin. Now, Jesus already died the death on the cross. All he's asking you to do is surrender all and give your whole life to him. That's the process of dying. And then along the way, you're laying down your own desires for his desire. And you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Let's jump to verse 10. The death that Jesus died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the old me didn't have power to overcome temptations and sin. But the new me now has the power, and so do you. When you give your lives to Jesus, all the failures, all the mistakes, you get the power to overcome it. You get forgiven of your past, and then he transforms your mind to live and think and believe the same way that he does. And I'll leave you with this last scripture and then we're going to pray for you. If anybody had the ability to have confidence in the flesh or boast, it was the Apostle Paul. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 talks about 
just how much his, he had accomplished prior to Jesus. He said, when it comes to being a Jew or a Hebrew, I was the ultimate Jew and Hebrew. He says, when it comes to living according to the Mosaic law, he was perfect in every way. In fact, he uses this incredible word that's still hard for me to believe. He says that he was blameless. And I think to myself, nobody was blameless. He says, look, in keeping the Torah and the commandments of God, I lived perfectly and I lived upright and I was a zealot. And I was so zealous that I even persecuted anybody that taught otherwise outside of the Mosaic law. And that's why he pursued to kill Christians. He even persecuted the church. But then he says this, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. What things were gained to me, these I've counted loss, a loss for Christ. Verse 8. Yet indeed I, account, I also count all things a loss for, one, for what? To know the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. You know what rubbish means? It's excrement. It's dung. It's animal feces. So he compares all of his accomplishments. How does that apply to us? Pre-Jesus, I don't care what you did, what you got, how smart you think you are, or what you invented, or what you think the, how good the world is. He says anything that I accomplished pre-Jesus is animal dung. That's how extreme he is. It's awesome. I love the way he writes. He's so much more intense. I mean, look, he's like, everything I ever did is a loss compared to one thing. The excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can't get anything more greater in your life than to know Jesus personally. You can do it. I'm living like, I want to live a life like this. And that's the life I want you to live. And you know what? I'm going to live that kind of life while I raise my kids supernaturally and serve you awesome coffee and deliver messages and preach the gospel and live vibrantly, extravagantly, whether I'm fishing, whether I'm riding my bike, no matter where I'm at and what I'm doing, I'm going to live abundantly. I'm going to show the world loudly who Jesus is. I challenge you to do the same. And you want someone to say you're a little too loud. You don't have to be that fired up. Really? Jesus said, I'd rather you, be luke, rather you be hot or cold instead of lukewarm. I want to break you out of humanistic Christianity. I want to break you out of lukewarm Christianity. Where is the fire? Where's the fire? Y'all remember the little old lady in the Wendy's commercial? She got a big bun and a little bitty beef patty. And she's at the drive-thru and she screams at the, the person serving her a burger and says, where's the beef? The millennials have no idea. Google it. It's hilarious. I'm tired of getting a big bun spiritually with no meat. You should be too. Where's the fire? Come on, guys. Thank you for coming today. I know some of you, it was a big stretch. You haven't been in church a long time. Like, man, this is a little much. It's a little too spiritual. It's been a little bit hard. I don't know what else to tell you. It's not about your quick 35-minute message, let's get to the buffet. This is about transforming lives. Somebody's hurting around you. Somebody you know is sick in the head. Somebody you know is thinking about suicide. 
Every 20 seconds, somebody's killing themselves. Somebody you know is thinking about an abortion right now. Somebody you know is being trafficked. Somebody you know is spinning out on drugs and alcohol. Somebody you know is spinning out right, and they're waiting on you. They're waiting on your voice. You say, well, they don't want to hear what I say. I don't care whether you want to hear what I have to say. If I meet you out there, I'm going to tell it to you regardless. And you can write me off as crazy. They did it to Jesus. I'm going to still speak the truth to you. Amen? Now I'm going to leave you with this, and we are praying. Now listen, let me just tell you how this works. I've got three sermons to finish this message. One of them is a $5 sermon. One of them is a $5 sermon that will have me finished in five minutes. One of them is a $20 sermon that will have me finished in 20 minutes. And one of them is a $100 sermon that will have me finished like now. And in just a minute, we're going to pass the bucket and see which one I'm going to use, all right? The more you pay, the faster I go. You're like, come on, Pastor, you're so long-winded. We should do that every week. I can preach for five minutes, 20 minutes, or an hour. What do you want? This is the buffet. That's right. Thank you. This is it. I mean, you guys have got to see this scripture. It is so powerful. I count everything as a loss. I've suffered a loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish so that I could gain Christ and what? Be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness, which is from God by faith. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's what he's saying. My greatest desire in life is, number one, to know him. That's the first thing. I want to know him. The second thing is, I want to know the power of his resurrection, not in his resurrection. If the word said in his resurrection, we'd be looking for the power that happened on that day thousands of years ago, a one-time event. But instead, what he wants is daily power in your life to resurrect your mind, to resurrect your heart, and to resurrect you. And then he says that I may also know his suffering and be a partaker of his suffering. Why? Because without that, you won't live a resurrected life. To conclude, God wants you to have a resurrected mind. He wants to resurrect your life. And how do you know when you know that you need a resurrected life? Thorns and thistles and toil. The sweat of your brow. Constantly unhappy. Frustrated. Irritated. Needing medications all the time. Spinning out in your mind. Anxious. Worried. Afraid. Comparing yourself to everybody you see around you, especially on social media. Feeling frustrated. Constantly unhappy with yourself. Never satisfied. Not rested. Not being in the moment, always living in tomorrow, spinning out in all different kinds of ways, whatever it is, whatever it may be for you, it's time for you to live a resurrected life. And there's no better day than right now to make the change. Amen? Let's all stand.